Well, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 131. Psalm 131. This is a song of ascent. It's one of 14 psalms that were sung by the children of Israel as they traveled up to Jerusalem for their time of worship. These psalms often deal with fundamental truths and the corresponding realities of knowing and serving God. I trust in the time we have that this passage will be a blessing to us. It's a short one. I hope that I can be brief as well, but uh, as we are once again in Psalm 131 this evening. His life was one of intrigue and stress, but also of incredible peace and solitude. He was instrumental in the history of his country, but also the history of the whole world. And God used this man mightily, and the Lord even said of him that he was a man after his own heart. Of course, I'm speaking of King David. His story encompasses several books of history in the Bible, and it was interesting because one of you came to me and declared that you felt a need to keep reading the historical books, even when our Bible reading had uh, our Bible reading plan switched to the Psalms. So I found that kind of interesting. It's because David's life reads like a movie. He has an experienced uh, in Scripture. He has incredible highs, like slaying a giant and surviving multiple attempts on his life. But he also had great lows, like the sins of murder and adultery involving Uriah and Bathsheba. Also, he struggled because of his lack of discipline over his family, and great dysfunction resulted. Now, through it all, David was truly a person we all can learn from as we read through Scripture. And one area that David was especially used by God was in his ability with poetry and music. He was called the sweet psalmist of Israel, and some of the most heartfelt and deep theological thoughts come from this shepherd, and tonight is no exception. We look at David and all that he went through, and we wonder, what was his life like? What was his thinking processes like? Well, thankfully, he declares to us that a fundamental part of his day-to-day life was complete hope in God. And this roadmap to hope is especially poignant in today's culture. I don't have to talk long, or I I wouldn't have to bring up very many uh, instances for you to understand that uh, our world is lacking in hope. And this roadmap to hope uh, can be incredibly helpful to us. There's economic, political, societal, spiritual, all of those things we face Uh, difficulties we face on a daily basis and our world lacks that hope but here's the interesting thing every single one of us craves it and the sad reality is that people try to find hope in all the wrong places they look for hope in money they look for hope in health they look for hope in relationships and even intellect but David contrasts all of this And he seems to navigate his difficulties with an unshakable hope. What is his secret? Well, he does this by trusting in God instead of these other things. And our text for the evening is one such testimony of this trust. And he declares an honest testimony 
meant to instruct uh, others in the search for that hope. I'll trust it will be a blessing as to your heart again as we are in Psalm 131. Let's read that. It's just three verses long. The psalmist is talking to the Lord, and he says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let, ho- let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. This evening, if your hope is in the Lord, there's going to be some things that are true of you. And first off, we need to see right there at the very beginning that if your hope is in the Lord, you, first off, must be humble. Every single one of us has been given great gifts by the Lord. In fact, everything we have is actually an extension of his mercy. God reminds his children often that even the jobs and the places they lived, it was all not because of themselves. It was because it was given to them by a benevolent God. And so for a person to be haughty, it's the ultimate slap in the face of God. And he makes these assertions about his heart. Again, it's not so much that, Paul, or that, that David is being prideful. It is in, the, in his heart, as he has, has talked to the Lord and as he is on his way, you could say, to worship, his heart is prepared. And he's coming humbly. First off, he comes without a prideful heart. And that's what that word is, that word for haughty. Lord, my heart is not haughty. He's not prideful. This is a heart that seeks to elevate itself above all. It's the heart that says, I deserve something. I deserve better than this. What do we know about a person who is prideful? Well, we know that, first off, God rejects the proud. As James chapter 4 and verse 6 says, God rejects the proud, but he gives grace to the who? The humble. And so if you are to find hope and if you are to find uh, trust in the Lord, you have to begin first off by setting aside prideful tendencies. Can I say? That's very hard to do. All of us have that, those moments that creep in and we've also kind of uh, kind of chuckled a little bit with the reality that as soon as we think we're humble, we've, all, we've already lost the humility. It seems to come and go, and even, uh, even sometimes, uh, there have been times where I've thought, you know, I need not to be pride and so, prideful, and so then I pray, Lord, would you humble me? But at the same time, nobody likes to be humbled. We don't like it. But it is the key to finding hope. Not prideful. How arrogant would it be for us as the created being to look at the, create, the creator and say, Lord, I deserve this. Lord, I want this. Lord, meet my need. And so for these children, going, the children of Israel going up to worship, the first thing that, that, that David says is you cannot be prideful. You, my heart is not haughty. So part of that humility is no pride. Secondly, part of that humility 
is no arrogance. And you may say, well, what's the difference, Pastor Nate? I love how the King James has it. He says, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. It's a wonderful picture. Have you ever met a person that maybe walks in and he is confident, but maybe too confident? Maybe confident in himself? And one of the things that typically happen is the shoulders are back, and it's actually a, a, a stance or a stature that they will bring in. They will puff up their chest, they will walk in, and they will almost bring their eye level higher. And what the psalmist says is when I go in to worship, I am not going arrogantly. It's a position of the eye that reflects a heart condition. This is the action and attitude of dominance. I am going to dominate everybody else. You see this often in different sporting events. And guys are positioning themselves and they are trying to intimidate others. That may be okay at certain times on the soccer field, but it's not okay when you come for worship. And so, not prideful and not arrogant. It's the idea, I want to ascend to greatness. And in the business world, it's climbing the ladder of success and running over who, who cares. If I'm going to climb over you to get to what I need, that's the idea. And so it's even an upward lifting of the eyes. Remember this, godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment is humbling. Contentment is understanding what I have and being okay with what I have. Understanding that God has given me all that I need and all that I deserve. And so a person who is going to worship, they must be not prideful and they must be not arrogant. But what else? Continue on in the verse. It says, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Not only is he to be not prideful, not arrogant, but now third, not worrisome. Not worrisome. He's not consumed or occupied with the unknown or those things that he has no control over. Can I say one of the most dangerous phrases that we can start to internalize is the what if. What if this happens, Lord? Yeah, but what if? Yeah, but if this happens, then how am I going to... And I've said often... A person who is a worrier is a wonderful meditator. They just meditate on the wrong things. And they say, what if this is going to happen? And what if that happens? And they, they, they analyze every facet of the situation. And at the end of the day, there are still some things we will never figure out. That's what makes God God and us not God. There are things above our pay grade, so to speak. God does not reveal to us certain things, even though we are his children and loved dearly by him. And so the psalmist says, I'm not going to exercise myself. I'm not going to be preoccupied in great matters or in things too high for myself. In one sense, you could say that the psalmist had learned to stay in his lane he wasn't going to concern himself with things that he had no control over and couldn't change even if he wanted to. We are not meant to know everything. And think about this. 
we couldn't handle it even if we were able to know all things. I have in my pocket a cell phone. That's a wonderful tool. But can I say, with a cell phone, especially a smartphone that you can connect to the internet, you can get all kinds of information. And can I say, you can get and take burdens upon you from your cell phone that God never wanted you to carry. One specific group of uh, demographic that struggle with this often are teenage kids, teenage young people. They see what happens in the world, and they begin to internalize, and they begin to wonder, yeah, but what if that happens here, and what if, and what if, and oh no, and uh uh-oh, and all of those things that God never intended them to handle because God didn't bring it into their life, now they've taken it upon their shoulders and now they are weighed down by it. They are now thinking about things that are too high, great matters that they have no way to fix. And that's why you see in statistics over and over again that there is much despair There's much uncertainty, there's much depression, anxiety, all of that because these young people are not able or should not carry some of those burdens on their own shoulders. And the psalmist here, as we go back to the passage, the psalmist is reminding his heart and he's he's in his testimony, he's saying, I have not or neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Basically, the psalmist allows God to be God and glorifies him as such. He's okay with God's sovereignty, with God's transcendency. After all, Psalm 139 states, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandeth my thoughts afar off. Verse 4, for there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. And then he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. What is the next part? It is high. I cannot attain unto it. The psalmist had figured out how to say, Lord, you are Lord. I will stay in my lane. I will trust. See, the psalmist's attitude of humility is in direct contrast to the mindset of the world around us. It's also in direct contrast to another person's mindset, and that is the mindset of the devil. For it was the devil that stated, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And then he finishes, I will be like the highest. That's what the devil said right before he got kicked out of heaven. And so when we have this attitude of pride or arrogance, or we take all of the struggles of this life and we internalize them and we try to figure them out on our own, it's like taking God off the throne and putting ourselves there. And this attitude of pride can be seen in the heart of one who falls apart when anything happens to them. They don't deserve this. They think, I deserve better. Think about this. The world speaks of self-esteem as a good thing. Can I say, God looks at self-esteem and it is an attitude that he rejects. 
Again, God rejects the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So then, today, if you name the name of Christ, humility is expected. Is that true of you today? I think all of us could grow in our humility. We all have moments, like I said, of pride. Moments when we want to be arrogant. Moments when we try to fix our situation on our own. Maybe we get worrisome. We begin to exercise ourselves in things, in great matters or in things too high for me. So again, if you name the name of Christ, humility is what is expected. If you go to worship, humility is expected to worship. But here's a question. How should you respond when your flesh fights against these realities? Because we all do. We know what we want, and we want what we want. So how do we set our hope in God? Well, not only must we be humble, but now secondly, you must be content. Content. Look at verse 2. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. The psalmist declares this as an active thing he does. See, there are certain responsibilities that we have. We are called to maintain trust amid turmoil. We are called to be humble when we come into worship. And how do we do that? Well, he chooses to do two things. First off, he says, surely I have behaved. What does that word behave mean? Well, that word behave means to calm your heart. The Hebrew has the idea of smoothing or composing. It's like a choppy sea that then turns to glass when the storm passes. And this is an internal battle. And beloved, there are times, can I even say, as I sat up here right before I was about to come up to preach, that I had to sit there and I had to force myself to calm myself. That I had to calm my heart knowing who my God is knowing what the task ahead of me was, knowing that God is with me. And oftentimes, those who struggle with anxiety, we forget that God is with us. He never forsakes us. And we need to calm our heart. This is, again, an active choice. So he calms his heart. But then what else does he say? He says, surely I have behaved and quieted myself. Again, an intentional choice. He quiets his heart. Do you quiet your heart? Do you calm yourself? Or do you allow things to just run amok in your mind? What does it mean to quiet his heart? Well, he listens. He's no longer arguing. He does not listen to the chatter of the world around him or even the complaints of his own heart. In essence, he preaches to himself rather than listens to himself. He chooses to relax. And you might say, well, Pastor Nate, that sounds like really simple. That is really simple. But it's really hard. Yes, I know it's really hard. It's simple. Calm your heart. Quiet your heart. How can we do that? Well, we can do that because of who we are with. Or who is with us? Can I put it that way? That's a better explanation. 
And he gives us an illustration of the presence of God. And he goes to the end of, we go to the end of verse 2. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. So what does it mean to calm your heart or quiet your heart? Well, look at a child that is weaned. He has no struggles for self or or agenda. What do I mean by that? Well, think about this. Being weaned is probably the first difficulty a person ever faces. Uh, In the womb, food sustenance come automatically. God engineered it really, really nice for that little, little baby. But after birth, it's not automatic anymore. And babies respond. And they respond with screaming and crying and throwing temper tantrums. Why? Because they have great consternation. They have an agenda, and their stomach is kind of pushing that agenda. And I want to eat, and I want to eat now, and why don't I feel that sustenance every moment of the day? However, when one is weaned, then mom slowly becomes more than just an end for their desires for food. But then there's something that happens. Fellowship and relationship finally begin to develop. Okay? And, and you've seen this when maybe you have grandkids or maybe even you remember what it was like. When you can have a child that will sit on your lap or sit next to you and just rest and be at ease, there's something wonderful about that. Moms can attest to this. When the little one climbs up on their lap and just sits quietly and peace, peacefully, Can I say, I love babies, but I like it even more when they are weaned. (laughs) Why? Because you begin to build a relationship of love and trust with that child. And so I think the reason why the psalmist picks that illustration is because it should indicate or it should give as an example what we are doing with our God. Do you calm and quiet your heart like that little child who's just happy to be with mom, who's at peace, understanding that if anything were to arise, God was going to take care of it, or mom would take care of it. Mom would meet my need as it arises, and I can trust. And the question I have for you is, are you having the same experience with God? Are you quiet and calm? Again, can I say, I stand before you, in a moment of pastoral transparency, and this is something that I am working on. Nobody can probably say that they are at complete and utter rest without God's help. He is the source of peace and tranquility. And our fellowship and our relationship is possible because of who he is. He is trustworthy, and we can calm our heart and quiet our souls. So God calms our heart. God quiets our soul in a content relationship with him. So amid difficulty, notice he doesn't listen to himself through this. He doesn't allow himself to descend into self-pity or self-exaltation. He's not being prideful and he's not being haughty. Instead, he decides to calm and quiet his heart. He chooses to compose himself and tell his heart and his emotions to be quiet. 
I've said often that emotions are wonderful servants, but terrible masters. And there are times that we have to sit down and we have to compose ourselves in who our God is and trust and be quiet. We get into trouble when we listen to ourselves rather than preaching to ourselves. And David starts off and he goes through and he talks about things that uh, he knew about God. David knew God gave him everything he needed. So he, just like a little child, content to sit on his mom's lap, enjoyed the presence and fulfillment of just being with God. And I would ask in application, can you say the same thing? Now, does that mean that none of us go through difficulty? No. In fact, after we're saved, we probably go through a whole different level of difficulty than before. But one part of trusting God for our salvation is also trusting him for our day-to-day living. And living in fellowship like that child who is weaned of his mother. And so we must be humble. We must be content. And then lastly, we must also be exhorting those around us. Remember, this is a, uh, a psalm of ascent. This is what they said on their way to worship. And so after David declares his testimony of verses 1 and 2, now he looks at his fellow worshiper and he says, Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. Those lessons that the Lord has allowed me to learn, I want you to learn too. Find your hope in him. Don't find your hope in anything else. And so he comes and he exhorts others. We should, in the same, exhort our fellow believer. What should we exhort? Well, first off, hope in the Lord. Let Israel hope in the Lord. And then it says, from henceforth. What does that mean? Well, we need to hope in the Lord now. Right now, don't delay to trust and hope in God. Some say, I'll trust in God when I get older. You know, I'll pursue him after I've had my fill of this earth. I'll look for God when I need him. This is not the pathway to peace, joy, and hope. The pathway to fulfillment is hoping in God now. And other passages lay out, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now is the time or day of salvation. Don't delay any longer. Find your hope and confidence in God now. That's what the psalmist is saying. Hope in the Lord from henceforth. Don't delay. Trust in God now. Hope in the Lord now. And then he goes on and he says, what else? He says, let Israel hope in the Lord henceforth and now forever. Be faithful in your hope. Don't turn aside from following him. Be satisfied him for your whole life. In everything, find your hope and trust in the Lord. So in these verses, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely, I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Now, everyone else, let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. What does that word hope mean? You probably know, but I'll remind you. It is confident expectation. 
You find your everything in God. This is why we were created, is it not? Colossians chapter 1 talks about this. Everything was created by Christ and also for Christ. And if we are going to be at our best as humans, we must be in fellowship and living for our God. Nothing else will satisfy. And every part of our life, there are different avenues where this can be applied. When you are a child, learn often to go to the Lord and trust. When you begin to make decisions to grow up and you begin to make decisions about what the Lord would have for you to do, trust in the Lord. Find your hope and confident expectation in him. Trust him. He is trustworthy. So hope in the Lord now, but hope in the Lord now also forever. So to wrap it up this evening, they say it's one of the most dreadful feelings And it naturally incites panic in its victim. But that panic, that one thing that naturally happens is precisely what you cannot do if you hope to be saved from a water incident. It seems counterintuitive, but a person who finds themselves in a dangerous water situation must learn to relax if they have any hope of rescue. I was talking to our resident lifeguard. His name is Pastor Craig. And he mentioned that a person who thinks they are going to drown is a danger both not only to himself, but also to anyone who would try to lend aid. He told me that it is of utmost importance that a person trust and rest in the lifeguard's skills, and then on top of that, be obedient to the commands given. He also, in my office, it was interesting this week because I just kind of was chatting with him, he also talked and showed me a few tactics that he had learned as a lifeguard so that he could help a person relax and at the same time keep himself safe as a rescuer, even going so far as waiting for the swimmer to exhaust himself so that then the lifeguard could finally step in and lend aid without both of them sinking. I got to thinking about that. Imagine yourself in a water situation. I think we probably all have been there before. And you have that anxiety that wells up inside you and there's thoughts that go flying through your mind. And what you have to do is you have to make a, a, a choice to be quiet and to calm yourself. It would take a choice by the swimmer to reject the internal panic that wells up, and instead calmly respond to a person who could help you. I believe this is true in water situations, but I also believe it is true in your spiritual life as well. Again, this life is full of danger and turmoil and difficulty, and you may be here tonight, and you may be in the midst of one of those turmoils. If you haven't or you are not yet in that turmoil, cheer up because it's coming. It happens You may be facing financial, spiritual, social, maybe even physical hardships. The worst thing you can do is to fight and maneuver and scheme and thrash and panic in the midst of that. Instead, look at the example of David. Look at the example of a man who had learned to navigate the depths of difficulty with peace, 
with hope, with joy. These are all yours tonight if we will but humble ourselves, say no to our agenda, and trust in an ever-loving God. This God that desires to grant peace, the God of all peace, he desires to grant that peace to your soul. Now here's the caveat, you must do it his way, and you must give up to him. And when we do that, the peace of God will finally flood our soul. The question I have for you tonight is, are you fighting God? You may be going through a difficulty and you may say, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't like this. Please fix it. I don't want to be there or here. But I would encourage you to give up to him and enjoy his presence and peace. Enjoy his person like that little child who has learned to trust his mother's love and care. Christ in the New Testament, he states that the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is a child. Have you ever wondered why that is? I think you now know. Because childlike faith is the hallmark of God's children. Beloved, he is trustworthy. Won't you humble yourselves today? Won't you look to him? Won't you enjoy him and call others then to do the same? Would you bow together in prayer with me, please? Oh, Father, we would confess that we often try to fix things in our own power. We, we fight, we kick, we try to maneuver. But Lord, oh, what a wonderful passage we've studied this evening. And Lord, I pray, Lord, I don't know what's going on in the pews in front of me, but Lord, you do. And I pray that this psalm would be salved to their soul like it's been to mine. Lord, that we would be quick to trust you. You are trustworthy. If we can entrust our very souls to you, we can trust you for our day-to-day -day living. And so, Lord, would you help us? Help us to calm and quiet our hearts like that child that is weaned of his mother, so that then, Lord, we can go in that, that, that enjoyment of who you are and what you've done in us and through us. Lord, if there's one here tonight or even listening on, on live stream who's unsaved, Lord, would you help them to realize that they must trust you for salvation. They can't save themselves. There's no amount of work that we can do to save us. Help them to see that, Lord. And then for those of us who are your children, help us to, to be humble, to calm and quiet our soul, and then call others to do the same so that then we can see you and experience your goodness to us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.